back to Coast to Coast Sports. I'm Michael Fumafredo. This is the only show for the fans, by the fans. And I was looking for a guy that I could really bring on the show today. I had a couple last minute cancellations. So last minute, I thank Brant Mandia for coming on the show. Brant, how you doing? Thanks for being here. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Now, I know you play cornerback at Williams College, D3. So I actually want to start off with some college football stuff because my school, USC, and the Pac-12 just announced that they're going to play a seven-game season starting November 6th. I don't know about you, but I'm really excited for that. Now all Power 5 conferences and Notre Dame have decided they're going to play. Yeah, it's great to have college football back. It's uh, Especially during this time, it's on Saturdays, going to give us something to just uh, put everything else aside and watch football and uh, really get excited about it. Now, as we speak... The Kansas State Wildcats just upset Spencer Rattler in Oklahoma. They won 38-35. What are your thoughts on that? I know you just turned the game on because I told you to. Um, I mean, Oklahoma's always got their high-powered offense. They're trying to put a young quarterback right in the system. But, uh, yeah, they couldn't close out late. They blew 24 unanswered points, I'm pretty sure it was, by Kansas State. I mean, it's, it's something they really got to fix up if they really want to compete for a national championship. Obviously, you got to win out to have a chance at uh, going for that title. And of course, both teams are one and one. It was a twenty-one. It was twenty-eight twenty. It was twenty-eight-seven. Oklahoma lead at the at the halftime break, but both teams are going to be one and one. And I can't help but thinking that this actually really hurts the Big Twelve in their playoff chances. Oklahoma's was number three in the nation. They'll fall after this week, but. Now, what do you think about a team from the Pac-12 possibly getting in? I know they're starting their season a lot later, one week after the Big Ten plans on starting. So what is your outlook for how the college football playoff committee is going to have to really bring, like, double down and really bring in a new team, I guess? Yeah, it's going to be tough because there's no non-conference game, so it's hard to kind of gauge how the conferences compete against each other. Even if it's not every year, the top dogs in each conference playing against each other, even if a mid-tier from the Pac-12 in a regular year plays a mid- mid-tier team from the Big Ten, they um, it, it usually kind of helps gauge where the conferences are at, and they kind of don't have that this year. So it's going to be interesting to see what the committee decides to do, especially the fact that they only have seven games. So if the Pac-12 wants to get someone in, they'll probably have to go undefeated. And that's actually interesting because I'm not really sure how the scheduling is going to work out for all those divisions, but I know Ohio State's basically got a cakewalk from what I've been looking at the Big Ten, Big Ten schedule. What about like a team... I call it a cakewalk. I know Big Ten East definitely has a couple of good teams. Penn State's always good. Harbaugh's still trying to get Michigan over the edge. You can see if maybe he does this year. You never know what's going to happen for Michigan State. So there's a couple of good teams on that schedule. Yeah, but they don't have to play a Wisconsin or a Minnesota, which is the big question, yeah, like how good they're going to be. In the Big Ten title game. That's true. The, the 
But I'm thinking now, what if they, what if the Pac-12 decided to give Oregon their their five games against like the Washington, Washington State in that Northern Division, but then they just throw out a game against like UCLA, who's not really that good of a team, or just another team from that Southern Division that they'll have to play, and really it'll just be a victory for them to get them to undefeated. What are your thoughts on that? Um, it's kind of catch twenty two because one, and since we said going undefeated. Well, uh, it's kind of what they need, especially with only seven games. But at the same time, you want you want to get put your best foot forward. You want to have your top dogs playing. You want Oregon playing Washington, Washington and Washington State because those are the best teams, and you want to put your best team from your conference in that playoff if you get the chance. Yeah, I'm just trying to look at Clemson's schedule right now. They do play Notre Dame on November seventh, so we're talking about Notre Dame if they. They decided to join the ACC for this year. That's going to be an interesting game to watch because the winner would probably go on to the ACC championship and likely get a playoff spot. Yeah, I mean, they could even face in the regular season and play each other again in the ACC championship. But I know there's no divisions this year. So it's kind of like how the Pac-12, the uh, Big 12 does it rather, where it's just the top two seeded teams go in the championship. So it could be a rematch and... If they split those games, it's interesting to see what the committee will do. And just the last thing before we get into some baseball, because I know that's what you really wanted to talk about. I know a lot of the teams haven't started yet. Alabama plays their first game. Oklahoma just had its second game. The Big Ten, Pac-12 aren't starting until later next month. But who do you think's the team right now? Do you think Clemson's got the firepower to, to come back and maybe win with Trevor Lawrence? Or do you think another team's got them, like an Alabama or an LSU? Um, I think you can never count on Alabama. I mean, even though they didn't make the playoff last year, they're still a dynasty. Nick Saban's the best college coach, at least in this era, could be all time. Um, so they're well coached. They always develop their players well. So even though they have kids graduate, they always have kids that they develop in their system come right after. So you can never count them out. Clemson, too, is another one. Trevor Lawrence looking to be an automatic number one overall pick. There's teams like the Jets that they're talking about who have like a Sam Darnold and they're saying, even though Sam Darnold can still be the future, they're saying Trevor Lawrence could be like Andrew Luck, a generational talent. And no matter who you have, you might need to take Trevor Lawrence. So Trevor Lawrence has to go out and prove that, that he can win with any team against any team. So it's just definitely will be an interesting uh, season. I mean, you can never count on Ohio State. Penn State's been right there. They've been in a couple of close games with Ohio State the past couple of years. If Penn State beats Ohio State, they could go on win the Big Ten, and maybe they could make some noise in the playoffs. So, like always, going to be an interesting college football season. Yeah, Alabama plays today, I think, at 3.30. They're, uh, they're starting Mac Jones. I don't know how long he'll last as a starter, but he did look good last year when Tua Tagovailoa went down. But anyway, the college football playoffs are months away. And we actually got some playoff series going on right now. The Stanley Cup Finals and the NHL, the NBA Finals are just around the corner. But the MLB playoffs, this is an interesting one. After a 60-game season, their playoffs are here. It's almost October baseball. And I know you're a big Yankees fan, so let's start off with them. They have yeah. the five seed in the American League. What's your, what's your, what do you think their outlook is? Um, they definitely like last year been dealing with a lot of injuries this year they're just getting healthy at the right time 
Um, and and the past week, they two weeks ago they went on a ten game winning streak, I believe it was. It looked like they were back. Um, they kind of have ups and downs in the last few weeks. They've had a couple of games they blew teams out, and then they got blown out. Um, pitching has looked kind of shaky, and I'm just kind of hoping it all comes together. You know, Judge getting a few hits last night. Um, they're up. T- they're up big right now. Um, I'm not sure the exact score. I turned that game off. But they're up big, like 10-3 it was. I don't know who their third starter is going to be. That's the biggest question. You got Garrett Cole, obviously, is one. Tanaka's struggled, but he always comes through in the playoffs. So that's your, that's your second. It could be Hap. could be young Garcia, who's only 21 years old. It's interesting to see who Boone goes with for a third starting pitcher. Yeah, the Yankees are up 10-4 on the Marlins right now, who are making their first playoff appearance in, I believe, seven years it was. The thing that scares me about the Yankees, though, is obviously the first, this playoff is like any other baseball has ever seen. They extended it to eight teams instead of eight teams per conf- uh, league instead of six. And they're also playing in a bubble. But the first round is going to be played at the home stadium of the higher seed. So that's three games that the Yankees are going to have to travel to Cleveland and play the Indians, it looks like. Cleveland, or it could potentially still be Chicago White Sox. Well, those are two teams that I think when they're in their home stadium, they can cause some trouble. I know, especially with a short three-game series. I mean, baseball, anybody can win on any given day, and if the Yankees lose game one, winning two in a row is definitely not going to be easy. So Garrett Cole probably pitch game one, and that game will be huge, that one old lead. Yeah. And now I just saw this interesting thing. You're in our Instagram group chat with a bunch of our friends. We talk sports. We send memes, funny pictures, just basically banter and stuff. But someone sent a picture of the Houston Astros stats over the past couple of years. Their, their go-to hitters, Haltuve, Bregman, Correa. And the joke was when you realize that you really needed those trash cans. Yeah. And – it's actually pretty interesting to see how a guy like Jose Altuve in 2016 was hitting almost 315. This year he's 215. Other guys that were really up there have just really dipped off in this season, let alone the year before this. But what do you think about them as a title contender, even though they were they were in the mix last year, didn't really make some noise, won a couple of years back? I mean... They're still definitely a good team. I mean, when they won the World Series in 2017, they won the Game 7 in L.A. And obviously didn't have the uh, cameras and the trash cans there. I'm not saying that they deserve that because they wouldn't have been there to begin with if it wasn't for the trash cans. They wouldn't have made it to Game 7. They wouldn't have made it to World Series. They won in the ALCS all four games at home against the Yankees. They didn't win a game at Yankee Stadium. On the flip side, though, I mean, they've been cold. If they do turn it on, I mean, it's still a scary team. They still have they still have good players with um, World Series experience. So if they get hot in the playoffs, which I don't think will happen, because as you can see, I think part of the reason with these bad numbers is not just the fact they don't have the cheating. It's more they've had so much pressure on them to um, still produce even without the cheating and just to show that it really didn't mean anything. And I think the extra pressure made for worse numbers. Yeah. And speaking of turning it on, I know you've played baseball in high school. You dealt with what it feels like to 
be on a team that's had a losing streak, has been pretty cold, and then a team that's been pretty hot, winning a couple games. The players have to quarantine for a week before the playoffs actually start. How much of an impact do you think that has on a team that just went through a whole 60-game season over just a couple months? What's that break going to do to them and a team that's really hot and a team that's really cold? Um, for the teams that are hot, the biggest thing is you don't want to lose that momentum. They're still going to be, they're still going to be able to be with the team all day. They're going to be able to uh, practice in the facilities, and it's more just getting the reps, keeping the bats going. And then for the teams that are cold, it's um, going back to the basics, getting on the tee, soft toss, the little things, getting the mechanics right. So depending on whether they're hot or cold is how they'll probably go about it, whether they want to keep live pitching, just keep acting like you're in normal games, or just kind of regroup and get the tee work. Yeah, so like a team like the L.A. Dodgers, who are on a two-game win streak right now, 8-2 and two in their last 10, miles ahead of everybody else in the in the league, they, they have to really just keep it together, get their hitters on the tee, the pitching in the bullpen. And they're one team that's going to benefit without having fans there because the last couple of years they've came in as the best team in the NL and they haven't came out with that World Series championship. So hopefully without fans, maybe less pressure uh, for them, that could help them get it done. Well, I know the thing about all the Dodgers fans out in L.A. that I'm friends with at USC, they all are hoping that Clayton Kershaw doesn't blow it again in one of the playoff series. Yep, I mean, he's still in the first ballot Hall of Famer, but... uh... Still, arguably the, the best picture pitcher him. in the game. Yeah, the one knock against him is his uh, playoff um, woes, so to speak. So, I mean, for him, hopefully this is time like not to let the pressure get to him, and maybe he could produce for the city of LA in that uh, historic franchise. So on Wednesday, I talked a lot about some like some of the other teams that really just made noise in this shortened season, the bubble year. Six teams that are in the playoffs this year had a losing record last season, and a majority of them actually missed the playoffs, as opposed to the nine teams that made it from last year. So, what do you think about any dark horse candidates? I mentioned the Padres and the White Sox as potential teams. I really like the White Sox, too, just because Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu are playing really well. The one thing I have against the Padres is they're a little bit younger, Aside from like Manny Machado, but they both look really good. Any other teams that you see can no one's really talking about that can make an impact? Um, I know people are talking about the Padres. I still think it could be a little early for them, but this expanded playoff will definitely be good to get them playoff experience because uh, they have, like you said, a young roster. Fernando Tatis Jr. is a rising star. Uh, Manny Machado. Um, a little bit older, but he was in Baltimore, so has no playoff experience really. Um, they, could, I mean, if, like I said, anybody can win that first series. If they win Game One, um, they could definitely move on to the next series. And um, I'm not expecting them to go all the way, but I think they'll definitely have uh, some exciting baseball down the stretch. Um, like you said, the White Sox. The thing with them is they become cold. The past uh, few games, I think they've dropped. Um, I know you have the stats up. I think they dropped the last four, if I'm not mistaken. Because I know they they were lost their last six actually. Last six, yeah. Because I know they were leading the division at the beginning of the week, and now they're down to third, and they only have a wild card spot. 
but um, the thing with them is that they, they did simmer down and get cold because that was the thing with the 60-game season. Does anybody get hot for 60 games and get in the playoffs? Um, so maybe now that they've came back towards reality, I've, I'm more in on the Padres than I am on the White Sox. What about teams like the Cubs, the, the Indians, teams that have been in this conversation every year, missed the playoffs the past, like a few years back, but now in the shortened season they've come back really looking like the teams they were a few years ago? Um, yeah, so a lot of people were saying that um, for the Cubs and the Indians that they were done with their prime. They met in the World Series in 2016, and that was a hell of a series. That was a great series. Yep, one of the best Game 7s I've seen um, in my time. But um, for the Cubs, the biggest thing, Baez has been uh, playing unbelievable. He's really been uh, carrying that team. Um, he's been bringing everybody along with him and kind of getting them back to that team that they should have been. The team that they should have been after the World the World Series win, people thought they could have been a dynasty and it was more of a one-time like a one and done, basically. One and done, yep. And then the Indians, 2017, after that, they lost to the Yankees in the first round. They really haven't made much noise after that. They have had the emergence of the Twins, who were uh, another dangerous team who now have the division lead there. Um, the Yankees beat them last year, but that got them some experience, and they came back even stronger this year. So the Twins are another one in the AL. The Indians... Um, the Indians, like I said before, they have that experience. They have that pitcher with Shane Bieber. So um, for the Yankees, I think that's a scary matchup because, uh, if, like I said, if you lose game one, especially to they have the AL, probably the AL Cy Young, could even be the MVP, Shane Bieber. So um, that's a very tough game to win against that pitcher. And then they'd have to go out against a quality team and win two in a row. So the Indians are definitely a scary team, especially in that first round. Now, with a week to go, I'll give my pick, you give your pick for the World Series. We'll start with you. Uh, this is me being optimistic, because I am a Yankee fan. Oh, here we go. I mean, I still think they are the most talented team. They have the most experience. The A's don't have much experience. Tampa Bay doesn't have much experience. The Twins, they had experience last year, but still the Yankees always beat them in the playoffs. I have the Yankees winning the AL, and in the NL, like I said, I think the lack of fans, it gives the Dodgers, as much as I don't want to pick the two top teams, uh, I think the Dodgers, um, the lack of fans will help them get there. They're going to have some tough series, um, the Cubs are good, Padres are good, there's a lot of good The teams Braves are up there too. We haven't talked about, but yeah, the Braves are good, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. is another young stud. Um... But I feel like the Yankees are finally putting it all together. If they can get past the Indians that first series, and I think they will with Cole, I think Tanaka will be better. Um, I have Yankees in six over the Dodgers in the World Series. Wow, very optimistic. Let's hope those. New, let's hope for a New York championship. We hadn't had one in a while. I'm gonna actually go the opposite. I'll pick the Dodgers to win it all. I mean, you can't really count them out. They're Way, they, I think they're way better than every other team. Besides maybe like just a couple of them, I'm looking at the Especially overall the records. I think the Yankees haven't played up to their um, stand, up to the, like, the standard that they should be. But if you think about it, this is only 60 games in. We would normally have another 100 games to play. Exactly. The Yankees could have easily came out 
top, and mm-hmm. now that everybody's healthy, they could just go back to the team that they should be. That might have just been a warm-up 60 games. Yeah, but when you look at the, the standings overall, like, the Dodgers are 41-17, and 17, Tampa's 38-20. and 20. Then you got all the other teams that are grouped in, like, that 35 to, like, 31 win range. So I think they're all, all those teams hovering around 500 just aren't as talented as the Dodgers are. They have the best record, most home runs in the league, the lowest ERA in the league, so they're good on both sides of the ball. And I think if Kershaw doesn't choke in one of the Game 5s or Game 7s, I think it'll be a... It'll be tough, but I think they got it. Yeah, I mean, they just got to play up uh, to their talent. I mean, the biggest is going to be the first three-game series, I keep saying it. Yeah. If Kershaw blows a game one, they're down They're down 1-0 and have to win two in a row. That's the uh, that's a toughest spot mm-hmm. to be in, especially for a, um, a favorite to win it all. Exactly. And now, this wouldn't be an episode of Coast to Coast Sports in the middle of the NFL season if we didn't have a full-on New York Jets rant. And yeah, yeah, we got another, we got a matchup against the Colts. Not the toughest team in the league, but they showed last week that Phillip Rivers and that offense can really make some noise against bad teams, at least. So, what are your thoughts on the offense so far? I know you're the... You're the football player. You see things a little differently than me, just the casual fantasy player who's looking for his guy at the X receiver spot. So what have you been seeing on this Jets offense? Because I know it's been bad. Yeah, it has been bad. So I've seen, we'll start with the O-line. It's been a revamped O-line. We have all starters week one this year. None of them were on our roster week one last year. Four of them were brought here in the offseason. Um, outside on the tackles, the tackles don't look great. Um, I mean, uh, Becton is the highest rated rookie, really haven't given up many sacks worth any from the tackles. It's, it's the guards and the centers. And here's the thing. Now, being a football player, I spoke with one of my friends who is a lineman, who's actually a Patriots fan. And he said to me, when I told him how none of our O-line were here last year, he said, with no... With no uh, offseason, with no preseason, that they're all new, he didn't expect them to look good just because off offensive line, especially on the inside, is all about communication. And now, now I, sorry to interrupt, but I don't think the offensive line has really been that big of a problem. And I've seen a lot from the interior line. I feel like Darnold's, the pocket's kind of collapsing from the inside. And I, I mean... I feel like the uh, tackle is doing a good job on the edge rusher, but have you, did you see the play at the end of the game last week where he rolled out? Yeah, that was because so the, they came Becton, right up the middle, right? Becton on the left side had a pancake, but on the inside they, they did a twist, and the, one of the guards came across, twist came right around, they were right in the backfield, and that's more communication than anything. So I think throughout the season that can get better. How much better, I don't know. But to continue on that, they're nice definitely team. really. Rolled out, made a great play. He did. That was a nice pass. But yeah, I don't expect them to be like a Steelers offensive line or a Patriots offensive no, line. They're definitely. They're definitely playing better than expected, and I guess you you can play the injury card for the skill position. Le'Veon Bell and three receivers are done for a while. Our top three, yeah, Jamison Crowder, Denzel Mims, who is yet to play a snap. Uh, but. Just the play calling in general just hasn't been good. Yeah, I feel like the, the third and longs were doing bubble screens with like 
third and 12, third and eight. And I get once you get third and too long, you don't want it means Darnold is still young. You don't want a young quarterback in third and long because that's usually where they get pick happy. And that's where the confidence goes downhill. But he still is in the league three years. You got to let him make a play. If you think he is the savior, if you think he's the next future quarterback, if you think he could be a Pro Bowl quarterback for years to come, then let him make plays. Let him show you now. Because if not, let him go out there, let him fail, and then we move on. But I believe in him, and I think if we go let him make plays, he will. I think. He also said the other day. They were talking about the audible on fourth and one and why he didn't audible to QB sneak and the thing. And Darnold said it and Gase both said it that he's not allowed to audible on that play because you're not giving your starting quarterback in his third year. Yeah, yeah. To audible. I was just about to bring that up because I think from what I've seen and I'm not just being biased because I'm a Jets fan, a USC fan, but he's been playing really well. I see. I think he's one of the better quarterbacks when he rolls out of the pocket and can make a throw. I think he understands the game. He's very accurate. His team doesn't really help him out in that sense. Chris Herndon dropped the touchdown last week. Yep, exactly. But, Hit him perfect spot too, right in the chest. Yep, but I think the only one that doesn't have faith in him is Adam Gase, which is ironic because he's the one that's nobody. the Jets fans don't have faith in. So with that said, I'm still, I'm still locking in my prediction that by Friday on, on week four – He'll be gone. We'll be talking about a new head coach. What do you think? I How long do you think he lasts? But I feel like we haven't really heard much from the organization. I think Darnold said last week, I think he was on Michael K, that he still believes in Adam Gase. I've heard a lot of that from the Jets camp, I feel like. I feel like it's more like the media saying he's going to be fired. Also, though, Douglas does like to keep things internal, which is good. Um, I mean, I could also see us winning in Denver, and then they give Gase a couple more weeks. But also another point, you talked about rolling out on the run. I feel like that kind of proves to the point where he's doing better out on the run because he's able to improvise, because he's able to use his talents to make a play rather than trying to do a blind read like Gase is making him, trying to make him do. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think we have to have a party when Adam Gase is inevitably fired. But speaking of guys that if he is to be fired in midseason, I know it's it rarely ever happens that they bring in an outside guy. So let's look at the candidates on the inside that really have a shot. All right. I think I think you got to look at Greg Williams first. I mean, yeah, but I know everybody's thinking that. But yeah, the defense hasn't looked that great. I mean, the defense has looked like better than the offense. But yes, it's also tough because they're putting after three and out, after three and out, they're definitely putting. Uh, they're making the plays. Bad, but yeah, they they have to look in a put in a bad spot, so it's not easy. Yeah, Dowell Logans, who's the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, I think if it's gonna be tough because the reason Gase is getting fired is because of the offense. Yes, and because of his offensive uh, mm-hmm. play calling, but. Also, Gase, more than the OC, runs the um, yeah. offense himself. So maybe if you, it would be good because you keep the same playbook in place, but it's just kind just of different. Somebody else calling the plays. And it's been more the play calls than the play design. So 
maybe we can use the right plays at the right time because the thing with Gase is he's supposed to be some offensive wizard and maybe he has all these great plays and he just doesn't use them at the right times. So yeah. That could be the real Logan's Gaines is also the quarterback's coach for the Jets. So if he's a guy that has faith in Darnold, maybe we'll see him start audibling. Maybe we'll see him throw the ball on third downs, third and shorts in the goal line. Mm-hmm. But and Gase's offense, you need audibles because the only time – that he really had much success was in Denver with Peyton Manning. Pey- yeah, exactly. And obviously with Peyton Manning, he, he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. You're definitely letting him audible and run his offense when he wants. So when he was able to audible, he probably audibled into some of Gase's other plays at the right time. And that's when the uh, offense succeeded there, obviously in Denver winning a Super Bowl. And Brant, ironically, the special teams coordinator on the Jets' name is Brant Boyer. I think he's a guy that's like, if the organization is thinking about firing Gase, I think he's the guy that would be the likely candidate. We see a lot of special teams coordinators take over as the interim, and he's been in the he's been in the organization the longest out of the other two guys. He's been there since 2016. Yeah, he could be a good placeholder, especially because I wouldn't be surprised if in the offseason they want to move on and uh, find an outside guy. Because, um, and then if you promote your OC or DC, you it would be kind of a weird situation if you kind of demoted them the next season. And obviously you definitely want um, Greg Williams to stay with the de- with the defense. So um, I, it may be promoting him and then having to de-promote him wouldn't be the best situation. Yeah. Because then he could also maybe look otherwhere for head coaching jobs. But I mean, he, I think he's, a, he's great for our defense. And he's played. He's put Marcus May now in great spots, and he's woken up Quentin Williams. And the defense, I don't think, has looking has looked too bad. I think the linebackers is where we're hurting the most because we have a we have a bunch of TFLs. We have a bunch of tackles for losses. When those runs break the line of scrimmage, the linebackers aren't always there to make the tackle because that's where we're thin at. Yeah, when you say linebackers, you also have C.J. Mosley who opted out of the yeah. season, mm-hmm. so. That's Dave Rillington just got back, but he's not playing well. I know Cashman got hurt last week. Yeah, so basically the Jets' options are Greg Williams, keep him for a few years, or hire somebody, fire him, and bring in somebody. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it's Eric Bienemi on the Kansas City coordinator. But oh, I'd love that. That would, be, that would be great for the organization. But week three coming up, Indianapolis Colts versus New York Jets. Who you got? <sighs> After seeing the last two weeks, it's hard for me to believe in the Jets to win. I think they can keep it a more competitive game than the last two weeks. Um, biggest thing is we're going to have to be able to stop Jonathan Taylor. Um, he's a beast. We're going to have to uh, – he's playing pretty well in his rookie season. And like I said, the D-line's going to have to contain him because the linebackers uh, aren't at full strength, and we can't let him get to the second level. Yeah, I think that the Jets – it's not like – Last week when we played the 49ers who were in the Super Bowl last year, but it's definitely a team to look out for. I think if the Jets could put up 20, 28 points, they would have a shot at winning this game. I think the defense could keep them at that. With that said, though, they, with that said, though, they can't score seven points in the first three quarters and then score two garbage-time touchdowns. That's not going no, to be something that wins. Early. They need to be scored the whole game. Maybe play two or three good quarters in the beginning and then just hold them off. Yeah, I mean, right now, who's our number one receiver? Berrios, right? 
I think, yeah, probably Braxton Berrios, but we do have Chris Herndon there. Yeah, we might have to get the tight ends more involved. Um, running game two, Frank Gore played pretty well the other day. Um, we got the fourth-round pick with Michael Perrine. Um, he seemed he had a couple runs the other day. He looks pretty good. Um, I know he's been right under Bell's wing and Gore. He's looking up to both of them. And that's Joe Douglas who brought him in because of uh, he could find those late-round draft picks, and maybe he found one in this running back. Yeah. And we shot. Anyway, Brant, thank you for being here. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for having me. Once again, this has been Coast to Coast Sports. I'm Michael Fumafredo. Thank you for joining us here on Casual Saturdays. Maybe you want to check out the UFC fight tonight, Costa vs. Adesanya. But anyway, we'll see you back Wednesday at the Liquid Lunch Studios. You're listening to Coast to Coast Sports. I'm Michael Fumafredo. The only show for the fans, by the fans. See you later.